Hey, my name is David Dylan Thomas, and welcome to another episode of the Cognitive Bias Podcast. Uh, today we're going to talk about anchoring, and this is one of the most powerful cognitive biases, and you'll see why in just a sec. Um, so anchoring is just when like the initial piece of information you hear about something affects like your subsequent decisions, right? So a simple example is if you go in and you're negotiating like the price of a car, whatever that first price is, that, that first initial price that's offered, um, anything lower than that will seem reasonable, even if a lower price is actually way higher than the worth of the car, right? Um, so it's a, you know, an old trick that, you know, uh, I don't know why so many cognitive biases like can be explained through the behavior of used car salesmen, but they kind of can. I think I've done this like five times now, but yeah, it's an old used car tactic to say, I'm going to set this like kind of ridiculous initial price, you know, knowing that you're going to settle lower, but because that initial price is so powerful and they've seen this again, in all sorts of like negotiation and game theory kind of like, you know, uh, studies, um, yeah, that initial price has downstream effects no matter how long the negotiations go. So, uh, so that's what the anchoring effect does. And there's some really cool like versions of this, right? So there's an experiment where you uh, take somebody and you ask them to calculate what is 1 times 2 times 3 times 4 times 5 times 6 times 7 times 8. And they'll come up with a guess. Then you take another group and you say, okay, what is 8 times 7 times 6 times 5 times 4 times 3 times 2 times 1? And they'll come up with another guess. Now it's the same number, right? Because it's the same numbers I'm multiplying. Um, my kid is learning about the community property, or yeah, community property now, and so you know, even he knows it's the same. You know, it should be the same number, but the ones who are guessing one times two times three, right, where, where it starts with a low number, they guess a lower number. They actually guess average guesses around five hundred and twelve. The group that got the eight times seven times six version, they usually guess around two thousand two hundred and fifty, right? This big gap. Now neither of those is correct. The actual answer is forty thousand three hundred and twenty, but. Their guesses are so divergent because the the group that saw the small number first, one times two, um, they had a low anchor, and so in their mind they came up with a low estimate. And then the group that got the eight times seven times six, they had a high anchor. There they came up with the high estimate, and you see this over and over again, right? So um, there's another experiment where you have a roulette wheel that's sort of geared to stop at either ten or sixty-five. And what you do is you have people like play roulette, right? And then they get either the 10 or they get the 65. And then you ask them, you know, totally random, unrelated question. What percentage of UN nations are African nations, right? Which isn't commonly available knowledge to most people. So they'll have to take a guess. And again, if their roulette wheel stopped at 10, they'll guess around 25%. If it stopped at 65, they'll guess around 45%, right? The where the roulette wheel stopped has absolutely nothing to do with how many, you know, African nations are in the UN, but it will affect their guess because that's just how we work, right? We anchor onto these things. Now, again, real answer is actually around 28%. So the low anchor ones are actually pretty close, but uh, it has nothing to do with the thing that actually anchored them. I mean, I find that kind of fascinating, right? And the reason I say this is one of the most powerful cognitive biases is it's one of those ones that's really hard to unlock. Like, even once you know about the behavior, you'll still do it. So they literally did an experiment where they came up with like an anchor and then they said, okay, look, I'm going to anchor you. And then I'm going to have you guess how many physicians are in the phone book. That seems where it's like, how many people remember phone books? But you know, for those of you who remember phone books, how many physicians would you guess are in the phone book? Right. And they would tell people, look, we're going to give you this anchor. We're going to throw this number at you that has nothing to do with how many physicians are in the phone book, and your guess is going to be higher or lower based on that. I'm telling you before you guess. So watch out for that. And of course, 
even the ones in the experiment who knew the anchor was supposed to influence them were still influenced by it. But it gets worse than that. They tried to pay people to not let the anchor influence them, and it still didn't work. They gave them financial incentives saying, look, this thing's going to happen. I want you to fight it. I want you to do the opposite. They would still be anchored. They, they, their answer would still be influenced by the anchor. So you can't pay people to not follow this bias. It's crazy. But that's why when I sort of like lament the state of cognitive biases, and part of the reason I think I'm fascinated with them, is it is one of those things where even if you know about it, you're still doing it. Um, now, the, where this gets, you know, a little creepy is, so, um, well, this isn't the creepy part, but it gets there. Okay, so expertise doesn't protect you from this bias, right? So they did a thing with real estate agents and just students who know nothing about real estate, and they sort of had them, like, you know, estimate, like, how much this particular property should cost, right? And the real estate agents should be better at this. But again, they did the anchor thing, right? So they would anchor all of them. And the anchor would influence the students just as equally as it did the real estate agents, like everyone was susceptible to it, even if they knew what they were talking about. Now, that's bad enough when it's real estate, right? But what if it's, you know, judicial decisions, right? They've tried this with, like, case law and, and courtroom decisions. It makes a difference, right? So imagine, like, you know, this is probably the most positive outcome of it like i'm imagining like you know if someone goes in for sentencing and they're wearing a big one on their t-shirt or something right like do anything that would probably affect the outcome it's crazy right but like they're far worse judicial decisions that are probably being anchored by things that have absolutely nothing to do with the case that's scary right so um there's no end of sort of like study now around like the impact of cognitive bias on on judicial decisions but this this is just one of them and it's seemingly random um there's kind of a, a subcategory of uh, anchoring called uh, focusing effect, or maybe it's actually the reverse. I think anchoring is kind of a subset of focusing. But in any case, focusing effect is when you place way too much value on one little aspect of something when you're making a decision, right? So the classic experiment here is you ask people in California and people in Minnesota, who's happier, Californians or Minnesotans? And the weird thing is, Everyone will say Californians, right? And then the, the idea is that um, the Minnesotans are picturing, oh, California must be like, you know, beautiful, sunny all the time. Everyone must be happy. Um, and the Californians sort of are buying their own shtick about that. So everyone sort of says Californians, but completely disregarding things like natural disasters and all these other factors that, you know, if you actually rate happiness, it probably comes out to about the same. But you focus in on just this one little aspect, right? This one little image in your mind you have. Um, where you really see this pronounced is in uh, wealth, right? So people imagine, of course, wealthier pe wealthy people are happier. Of course they are. But every damn study that comes out about it, like the happiness index around like well and how, how wealth affects that, it actually comes up pretty much the same. Uh, in fact, there's a whole like um, if we ever get into hedonic uh, adaptation, we'll talk about this. The um, people who win the lottery and people who suddenly become uh, paraplegics. They rate their happiness before, and then they rate their happiness three years after that event, and it comes out to the same. Like, after three, or, or I think it's after, only a year, actually. After a year, they're back to whatever happiness level they were at, either before they won the lottery or became a paraplegic. So, like, our our focusing effect like makes us think, oh, well, this one thing, wealth, of course it's going to make me happy, but you're focusing on just this one thing and not all these other things that actually affect happiness. Um, so it's yet another, you know, so it's this anchor that... Um, you sort of just walk into the room with. Uh, so anyway, lots of big impacts of this. Um, uh, one other thing before we go, I want to let you know I have started a Facebook page because I realized that I would talk about these things, and if I wanted to carry on the conversation and wonder what other people thought, I didn't really have a way to do that. So if you go to um, 
uh, facebook.com slash cognitive bias podcast. Let me double check that. Yep. <laughs> facebook.com slash cognitive bias podcast. There's a Facebook page there and I'll be posting questions, etc. You can just, you know, uh, post ideas for, for stories. Um, yeah, I'm just riffing at this point here. Um, I basically got one just so we could start talking about this stuff. Uh, so if you have questions, um, you can ask them there. And yeah, that's it. So for the Cognitive Bias Podcast, this is David Dylan Thomas, and we will see you next time.